Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my pediatric food allergy course, Fear to Freedom, is officially open for enrollment right now on emilynolan.com. One more thing before I jump in, I'm a mama, not a doctor. So the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a qualified medical professional. Any questions you may have concerning the diagnosis or treatment of a medical condition should be directed to your doctor or another qualified healthcare provider. If you don't have that connection and if you can't have that level of trust with your provider, then, you know, it's not a relationship worth um, continuing. When our son was seven months old, he was diagnosed with severe food allergies. He was still so young and we were not even halfway through our breastfeeding journey. We would continue on breastfeeding past the age of two when he naturally weaned. During the first appointment with our first allergist, I wasn't so sure that would be our journey. I really wanted to keep breastfeeding Ollie. Breastfeeding and mother's milk is scientifically proven to be beneficial for mom and baby. And using what I call my intuition GPS, all I can say is that the journey of nursing Ollie just felt right to me. Like it's what my son and I both wanted and needed. It's not that I thoroughly enjoyed breastfeeding, it was a huge responsibility, and I was lucky enough to be able to offer it. When we learned of our son's food allergies, the allergist told us to switch over to formula and said I would no longer be able to breastfeed because I have the offending allergens in my diet. He then gave us formula with one of the allergens our son was allergic to in it and walked away. Thankfully, I double-checked the label and was like... No way am I giving this to my kid. My intuition said, if we've come this far breastfeeding and he's been okay, I'll just cut these allergens out of my diet and keep going. I can't trust a packaged product to keep my kids safe, but I can definitely trust myself right now. Later on, at our fourth allergist, we've been to nine. I spoke with the kindest allergist who said, I could have kept the allergens in my diet when our son was diagnosed with food allergies. I never had to go through all that trouble. I asked her why. She said it's because it's such a small amount of allergens that he gets through my breast milk. That tiny amount would have helped tone his immune system and continue a very natural form of oral immunotherapy through breastfeeding. Although our breastfeeding journey is complete now, I'm still curious about the rules or guidelines here. I had two very different opinions from two board-certified allergists. What does a mother do to her diet when she's giving her child mother's milk and is suspicious of a food allergy? What should a parent formula feeding do if they're suspicious of an allergy? I've invited Christy Gardner, a registered dietitian specializing in pediatric nutrition, to help illuminate this path for those of us who could really use an answer supported by science-based evidence. Christy's worked in multiple pediatric hospitals and settings in Miami, Florida, previously supporting the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Nicholas Children's Hospital. At Nicholas, she participated in nutrition research investigating vitamin D and pediatric COVID and nutrition counseling for pediatric oncology survivor families. Currently, she serves as the outpatient dietitian for the University of Miami's Pediatric Department in the Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition. Here, she participates in a multidisciplinary setting addressing the unique nutritional needs for an array of gastrointestinal conditions in pediatric patients. She uses science-based evidence to help her patients grow and thrive while managing chronic or acute gastrointestinal and hepatic diseases. 
She provides consultations through Essence Nutrition in Miami as their associate pediatric dietitian. She also serves on the board of her local nutrition and dietetics association to help further the field of nutrition. Christy, welcome. Uh, Thank you for having me. Help us out here. What are the dietary rules for a mother or parent offering his or her child breast milk? And, you know, I use this language because many parents offer breast milk in various different ways these days. It's not uncommon for parents to borrow milk from other mothers or milk banks. So what's the rule of thumb? What are the guidelines here? As far as providing breast milk to babies, there's a vast array of benefits to the baby to help build their immunity, um, also provides a better absorbed form of nutrients and nutrition for the baby as well. So breast is always best. And with that said, plenty of babies grow, thrive, and are actually perfectly healthy and lead successful lives who were fed formula as well. And I don't want mothers to feel shamed or guilty if they're unable to provide breast milk for any reason. I worked in the NICU and it is very a very common practice to use donor's milk for babies um, whose mothers were unable to provide sufficient amounts, either due to high stress or, you know, an array of other reasons that they're not able to provide sufficient milk. And the milk that each mother produces, it's very unique to the needs of her baby. And with that said, if a mother is donating milk to maybe like a milk bank or her friend and the baby that that she um, had with that milk is a year or even older, then that milk is actually not nutritionally dense enough. And what's required for a newborn or even a premature medically complex baby. So the only way truly to know what the composition of the breast milk is, is to test it, but nobody wants to test and waste breast milk (laughs) because it is liquid gold, right? So when the milk is donated um, by nursing mothers, they actually go through very thorough screening processes with the milk banks. And, you know, priority is and, you know, should be given to the NICUs um, for these really medically fragile babies, you know, wet nursing. So having a friend or family member, uh, you know, somebody in the community breastfeed um, your child. It's actually a something that has been really around for ages, you know, society, like high society, royals and um, bourgeois populations would, would do that um, many years ago. And they would have wet nurses for their children. Um, and one thing I'd like to note is just to, to use caution. If you're interested in having someone breastfeed or provide breast milk to your baby and ensuring that, you know, you're really kind of like grilling that mom <laughs> or that person to, to make sure that you know, you know, that the breast milk that they're going to be able to provide is going to be um, safe for your baby. So if, if they're going to be providing the breast? What are their behaviors? Do they do any risky behaviors? Any history of infectious diseases, alcohol or drug use? And if there are any of these factors that I just discussed that a mom feels uncomfortable with, with that individual who would be providing the breast milk, again, if you're getting it from a milk bank, then, you know, maybe talking to them, asking them what their screening processes and questions are. But if you don't feel comfortable with it, you know, I would strongly suggest using a formula as, you know, it's not worth the risk to your baby to use unsafe breast milk. I occasionally hear parents of infants from the age of zero to six months diagnosing their child with a milk allergy or another form of allergy, like a peanut allergy, right from the get-go based on the child's stool changing. 
they immediately remove the dairy or the peanut or whatever allergen it is that they are suspicious about from the mother's diet or the formula and hope to remediate the stool problem or whatever problem the child was having. And sometimes this is per the advice of their child's pediatrician. And sometimes it's, you know, an influencer or somebody on social media is talking about it. And that's where they're getting their information or a blogger or a friend. And so I just want like a final solid answer, right? From a qualified person. If these parents are like, hmm, I wonder, could that be a peanut allergy? Should I remove peanut butter from my diet? Or could my child be allergic to dairy? I know those are two very different allergies. But, you know, with milk, you know, there could be cow's milk in the diet before you introduce food. And then peanut would just be typically through the breast milk, the tiny, 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 tiny amounts that are coming through the breast milk. So for these parents that are like, help, I don't know what's going on. And my pediatrician is unsure, or I want a second opinion. uh, What do you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, every child's situation is, is very different. So it can be very difficult and frustrating for, you know, for parents and confusing. But I would suggest that parents try to not like diagnose their child. Really, like, honestly, the best thing you can do is have a good relationship with your physician and, and with your pediatrician, with your allergist. Um, and then if you're unhappy with, with you know, how they're com- either communicating to you, they're not providing you with solid reasons or evidence as to why eliminate or not eliminate or whatever their recommendation may be, then I am a firm believer in second, third, however many opinions, because, you know, if you don't have that connection and if you can't have that level of trust with your provider, then, you know, it's not a relationship worth um, continuing. But really the the person who's going to be best to to help guide you is going to be your your allergist as far as if there is an actual food allergy. Sometimes I have mothers swear up and down that, you know, it's because she ate corn that one day that her child developed a rash or developed, you know, hives or whatever her child developed. And then she never ate corn again and he was perfectly fine. So it really, it's so uh, like individualized again and and, and difficult to really have a, a concrete answer. I do know that there have been studies looking at like whether or not elimination from breast milk is really the right way of those foods from the mother's diet is really the right way to go just because the level of of allergen that actually gets transferred to the baby is so minimal that it shouldn't create an acute allergic event. To be honest, the true answer is there's a lack of strong evidence. So what I mean by strong evidence is, is like randomized control trials because Number one, that'd be difficult to do on this population. Um, So most of what we go based off of is like case studies, case theories, and physicians' clinical judgment based off of what would be best for that baby and for the family, really. What kind of alarming signs should we look for in children ages zero to six months who have not had solids yet? Okay, so projectile vomiting, um, blood or mucus, and, and stools are two signs of milk protein allergy. 
sometimes there can be um, like swelling or hives that can also be other manifestations of, of allergies. There are an array of other GI conditions, which could be indicative of projectile vomiting, however, very rare. So not to alarm anyone. I would encourage parents, again, to have a strong relationship with your pediatrician so you, they can help guide you and direct you as to any tests um, or interventions or if you need to seek medical attention. I love Seeds PDS08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic, and you probably already know that if you're following me on social media. I mix it with my son's daily multivitamin every morning in a beautiful espresso cup when I can to show him that self-care is a beautiful daily ritual. Also, because it contains the dual-phase prebiotic made of short and long-chain carbohydrates, it does take an extra moment to dissolve. This easy-to-use and sustainably packaged symbiotic, meaning it's a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic powder is formulated for benefits in and beyond the gut. It's the first children's symbiotic with nine probiotic strains clinically studied in a pediatric population for benefits across digestive, respiratory, and dermatological health. The pediatric daily symbiotic also supports easy, frequent poops, which happens to be my son's favorite topic. PDS08 even bridges the fiber gap with five grams of fiber per serving. It's a meaningful complement to a healthy diet. Also, it's reassuring to know that the product is free from sugar, artificial colors, flavors, flow agents, binders, preservatives, and if you're listening to this podcast, and likely most important to you, free of 14 classes of allergens. Seed is offering my listeners a 20% code towards your first month. Just head to seed.com backslash Emily Nolan and use the code EmilyN20 to get 20% off your first month today. One of the questions I have is when my son was younger, meaning zero to six months before I started introducing solids, he had a little eczema. It wasn't crazy, but you know, with babies, they get these like weird pimply rashes and you're like, oh, this is my beautiful, ugly new baby, (laughs) right? Like, Like it's just two weeks of cradle cap and then it'll be gone or like, How are you supposed to know if your child has eczema, if it comes and goes, if it, you know, and so for the parents that are like, well, you know, I'm about to introduce solids and go through all of the early allergen introduction protocol, but like, you know, maybe my kid had eczema, but I don't think he had eczema. Uh, How do you diagnose eczema? Should they check with their pediatrician to see if your, their child is at higher risk for having an allergic reaction before introducing the allergens in solid form? Yeah, that that's a really good question. Definitely, I would recommend again any rashes, any anything that manifests on your child. You know, we all have um, our our handheld computers that we can also take pictures with, snap photos um, of of anything because sometimes you know you're seeing you're seeing that rash right then and there, but that rash might be gone like by tomorrow when you go to take the kid your child to the pediatrician and you're like, but it was there, so that we they can see what what you were seeing. The diagnosing of eczema, it's going to be the physician. So I I really can't speak as to how it's diagnosed. 
and they are going to be better able to to help guide um, as far as whether not or how to do the introduction of the the higher allergenic foods. So again, it, it really all comes down to having a really good relationship. And at the end of the day, mom know and, and dad know baby better than anyone else in the world. And sometimes your intuition might be stronger than than anything. So really good relationship with your doctor, key as well as being a really good historian, as we like to say, and, and really tell him all the you know, the nitty gritty details. So anything from like what you ate, how much of it you ate, how it was prepared, everything. Getting a good relationship and, and history is important. I really appreciate you saying over and over again that having a good relationship with a pediatrician is so important on this journey. I remember when I was a new mama and I felt like I was bugging my pediatrician, asking him anything other than showing up to our appointments, which are all the time when you have a new baby and just getting our, you know, the traditional vaccination, check the baby, wait, okay, everything's fine, leave, come back in two weeks, do the same thing all over again that thing. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to bother him. Oh, you know, I I don't know. Maybe these questions are just so like unimportant. I just also feel like the healthcare in the U.S., my experience has been um, impersonal. And so I, not all the time, but sometimes impersonal. I do know because I've been to nine allergists and I've been through many, many, many doctor's offices that there are very personal doctors. And so if you're feeling like you can't ask your child's doctor these questions, even these little questions, snap a picture. Hey, is this just normal uh, rash on the face? Should I be uh, careful when introducing allergens? Do you mind if I come in? Whatever it is, whatever you're comfortable with. And I love that you bring this up because it is so important to have that confidence uh, as a parent that you are doing the right thing and keeping your child safe. And I think there's not too many questions that you could ever ask your doctor, right? And there's never a bad or stupid question. So is there any scientific evidence that supports breastfeeding specifically for a child with food allergies? And if so, does it mention how long one should breastfeed for health benefits? Truly, there's there's no scientific evidence even like supporting or showing strongly that like breastfeeding prevents any particular food allergy. But again, it's not saying that you shouldn't breastfeed. Definitely breastfeed without a doubt. It's it's the best if you if you're um, able to do it. And the longer the better for breastfeeding. However, there's there's also no studies actually looking at how long per se. An interesting thing to note is like the actual amount of detectable food allergy levels in breast milk is in nanograms per ml, which is below the typical thresholds needed to trigger, again, an acute reaction. So there's very like debated trains of thought, also possibly why you had very differences of opinion from different providers, which again, leaves parents confused. There's really no exact answer or or known length of time. However, there are no negative effects of of breastfeeding for for long or any breast milk or feeding for longer 
you know, if you're able to reach that year, wonderful. If your life and, and lifestyle don't allow you to reach um, a year or even six months, like that's okay too. And, and it's okay. Absolutely. So what's interesting is that you say that the amount of detectable food allergy levels in breast milk is in nanograms per ml. Uh, it's so small, right? It's tiny. It's so small that it wouldn't trigger an acute reaction likely. That said, there are some scenarios where the mother's breast milk are causing like the stool to change. And, and I assume those are like like smaller reactions that are happening. Or do you think that it's something else that's going on with the child that's causing those stool changes? I mean, that, I mean, that could be an array of, of different, different things. Like, yeah, there, there could be something else occurring again, like you mentioned, there's something else occurring with the, with the child, or it could be possibly something with, with, um, within the breast milk, usually highly unlikely. There are reports, again, case reports of, of mothers excluding things from the diet and then stool improves. So again, it really, it's based off of what's best for, for mom, uh, for baby and kind of going a case by case basis. So what I'm getting at here is for mothers, breastfeeding mothers listening, it is not always your milk that's causing the issue. So don't let somebody tell you that it's your milk causing the issue. It may be, but it also may be something else and go find out what it is. Don't feel guilty or bad that it's you and your diet. Don't have that stress level. I know it's hard to say don't do it because it's like in neuro-linguistic programming. <laughs> when you say don't do something, somebody's like, I will do that. So I know you're listening and you're stressing hard. So I'll just say that because that's probably what's going on. Don't stress about it. Do stress about it. Don't yeah. stress about it. You know, just try and get to the root of the problem part of what I teach in my course is about baby steps, you know, like healing doesn't happen overnight. Unfortunately, it takes a while and sometimes it's a long time and sometimes it's shorter. Just take a deep breath and start plugging away and start making the appointments that you need. Don't jump to drastic changes unless your doctor is telling you so, or you have conclusive evidence, supporting evidence that says, yeah, your child is allergic to X, Y, and Z. One of the things that I learned from having a child, and if I were to have another child, you know, if I'm eating, I used to eat these Justin's peanut butter cups. As I was breastfeeding, I was like, well, if he's going to have something, I'm going to have something, right? (laughs) So I'd eat them, but I never would wash my hands. And I would just touch him with the peanut butter that I had on my hand. So one one thing you can do is if you are eating these allergens yourself, I think possibly from my experience and from what I've learned is it's more important to be washing your hands before you touch your child than the actual introduction of it through breast milk. In my opinion, I don't, I don't think you can necessarily compare, but I think that we should put the equal amount of stress on making sure that we have clean, sanitary hands before we touch our child so that the allergen is not introduced through skin lesions like eczema or through any area of the skin that might have a cut in it, et cetera. So those are my two cents as a, a mother. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, well, definitely um, kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying about the stress. Sometimes I've even seen mothers who were so stressed by trying to eliminate different foods in their diet um, that for them, just being able to eat more foods and, and maybe providing like a hypoallergenic formula was 
you know, they saw a drastic improvement in their child. Might it have been the formula? Might it have been the decrease of stress in the household? Something that that I see quite often is, you know, our children are kind of like mirrors of us and they feed off of us, not just like, you know, for breast milk, but um, like literally our energy, they feed off of it. And if mom is is super, super stressed and and, and so worried, which I I think, you know, part of being a mom, you you do get, you do worry about things, but they feel your stress um, if it's like so high and there's that brain gut barrier and sometimes can manifest in different GI um, issues as well. So really, you know, trying to reduce and minimize the stress. If the cure is worse than the disease, then, you know, you have to reevaluate what you're using as your cure. Wow. So profound when it comes to, you know, mothers. And I, I use like this mother martyr syndrome. Like we just are like, Oh, I can do this. I can make it to a year. I can breastfeed my child for two years. I will do it. And I, you know, that that was me. Like, if you're listening and you're like, oh, she's making fun of me. No, no, no. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. And, you know, like, I'll do it on demand and it'll be like perfect and support his immune system. And maybe it was. Yeah. But it was also very stressful. So the wet nurse thing sounds very appealing to me. (laughs) I don't know if that would ever be an option, but sounds like a good one. Thank you so much, Christy. This was so helpful. And I know that many parents out there, however they're choosing to feed their child are benefiting from this information uh, because we're always trying to figure out what's going on? How can I keep my child safe and healthy? Thank you so much again for putting this information together for us. Yeah, thank you for for having me on and allowing me to um, speak to to your your audience. And remember, just try not to stress too much. Okay. (laughs) Now, again, that's neuro linguistic program, you're telling them to stress. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) We know you're stressing. Maybe know that there is hope and community here for you. Definitely. Thanks for listening today. If you're not ready to get started with Fear to Freedom, my pediatric food allergy course, I do have a pediatric food allergy essentials resource with a ton, I mean a ton of incredible resources to get you started on your food allergy journey and healing your child with food allergies. You can download that right now on emilynolan.com and get started. If there's anything in this episode that resonated with you or led you to take action, I'd love for you to share it with me on social as well as any other friends and family that have children with food allergies or newborn children who may not have food allergies, but you know, may have the possibility to prevent it with this information. Remember to rate and review this podcast. It's a great way to give other parents of food allergy children some much needed hope and encouragement. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I am so grateful for all of your voices and support and love. And I'm just sending you all a great big hug. Mm -hmm.